Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Welcome, pod listeners, to a bonus episode of the show on trade deadline night. Unfortunately, D-Love couldn't join us, but Ryan is here. So, Ryan, let's just hit this one first. The biggest blockbuster of the day, Ben Simmons finally on the move. Daryl Morey got his man, James Harden. We talked about this Monday. But my question for you did both teams in this trade get better? Did neither of these teams get better? Or did one specifically get better uh, as we look towards the, the playoffs and um, some some key matchups here in the playoffs? Well, I think it's pretty easy to say they both got better considering uh, one team had a zero where it came to one of the players traded in Ben Simmons, and the other team had a negative. I think they had below replacement level <laughs> was what they were getting from James Harden the last few days as he as he waddled out of, uh, out of Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a it's a really interesting trade. It's sort of is it a challenge trade? Kind of? it's 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 like my favorite. Yeah, it's like two legit guys. You don't see that very often. Um, obviously, the Nets were able to get some other stuff with it to make the medicine go down. I mean, I I can't. Um, I really can't get over it though that Harden did it again. I I, uh, I mean. Like, what if in a year he does it to Maury <laughs> again? It's like over. I mean, I don't know if there's anywhere else left for him to go at that point uh, after he sets fire to another franchise. Um, I mean, I was a huge, huge supporter of him leaving Houston. and But this situation is just kind of, it's just crazy. And I don't think we've really acknowledged it enough. Like, it was, I don't know if you caught it. They did the, they picked the all-star teams tonight on uh, inside the NBA, and it was Durant and LeBron, and the last two guys available to be picked were Gobert and Harden. <laughs> and Which it was is just perfect. It was pretty great because because Durant had kept trying to keep a straight face and started analyzing how important if you have a big guy who can defend, and like LeBron was just cracking up and like covering his face, and then LeBron said, you know. But can, is hard to be able to play? Is he? I heard he's injured. <laughs> Everyone started laughing. <laughs> they were all like cracking up, and Durant was trying to do his best Letterman stay, stay, stay solid. I, yeah, I, I just it's pretty crazy. Um, I mean, these guys aren't. They're not friends. They're 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 you know they're work colleagues, so they're work friends at most. And I think these type of things come out of that. I I I really don't want it to work out for Harden and Maury. Um, but I think it might, I, I think, I mean, just to have those two guys offensively together is very powerful. I think Seth Curry, while very helpful for him, I mean, they got him for Josh Richardson. I mean, he was found money. Um, so if that's what it takes to get you along with some protected first round picks, or I think they gave up this year's pick, which is going to be in the twenties, like, it's it's marginal it's marginal stuff they gave up to get him. So I do like the trade for Philly. Um and I think they did really well to do it. But I hope it doesn't work out cuz I think I I'm normally not like this, but the way Harden like his choice of how he he does these things 
and the Daryl Morey's approach. Like, I'm not like it's not the threes and dunks thing that everyone criticized. And I think he actually came out and said now threes should be longer out and only be worth two point five points or something, which is like the most Daryl Moreyist of Morey things to say. <laughs> but like I think what he's brought to the game, I mean, we talk about all the time. Right? But the 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 um, I think the thing that's hurting hurting the league is just like the focus on the uh, the focus on the relationship with the star player, where he he knew like he knew the whole time Harden was there. I mean, he tried to get him a year ago. I think he just got from just reading different things. It's is that. The owner of Houston was like, "No, he's not going there. Like, there's no way that's happening. I'm not going to give Harden to Maury after he, he left." So, well, because that's—I mean—the backstory, right, is that those Tillman Fertitta overruled Maury in the Westbrook and Paul trade. It's the rumor, right? And then Maury basically let, like shanked him and went to Philly, and so Fertitta was just like, "We're not doing this. We're not. This is not the direction we're heading." Right? And now we've come full circle. I mean, that's the wild thing about. The fact that he got his he got his guy, but it's I mean that relational dynamic must be like and like anything that we've ever seen in the league. I mean, is there any other like superstar and and like front office person that that exists? Like, you know, it's a great question. I, I had the same that came up today. I heard that today, and there's a great Yarn Weitzman piece. Yarn Weitzman is great. Um, he also has a deep source of uh, his deep level of sources. In Philadelphia, because he wrote the definitive book about the Sixers up to at least Maury's arrival, um, and he he in this piece that went up today wrote that there is one other player who has that type of relationship with their general manager, and it's Joel Embiid with Daryl Morey. <laughs> like Joel Embiid <laughs> and Daryl Morey are just like I think is that the, the Real Housewives of New Jersey said in the early years they are thick as thieves. They are, we are thick as thieves. Uh, and they are, they are, they're, they're totally together and close and all of this. And again, Weitzman has a really great long piece about the dynamics within the organization. So I, I think that's the part that Maury understands and he's totally right to do it, but that's like the most acidic part of it. It's not that, Oh, the game is ugly because we don't shoot mid range jumpers anymore. It's that he does, he, he revolves everything around the star player. So Harden in Houston, like when they practiced, when they traveled, where they went, where they stayed, like he gets control over everything and he goes to the nets and it's Durant's team and Durant's the guy getting that, those privileges. Um, so I think that, you know, kind of caught him off guard and now it'll be interesting because Maury can't be, you know, He's gonna have a favorite child, you assume. <laughs> um, and of course, if they if they win, like unlike since the Nets haven't, then that makes everything everything work together. But I, I just it's it's really ter- it's it's making it into purely entertainment, and it's it's we have this idea of team and how the team is you know bigger than the sum of its parts, and you know the the role players, the bench players, and. They all have their role to play, and Maury knows it's not true. Like, what matters is the top couple guys in your team, and that's what dictates everything. And so he acts accordingly. But it's more like a Hollywood movie set than it is a team. I mean, it's like, you know, if you're on a movie with DiCaprio and you're, like, a supporting actor, like, yeah, if DiCaprio needs to go off to, like, 
some, you know, you know, get away for a long weekend in the Caribbean or like go to some protest or something like you shut down and you wait till he comes back and no one even thinks about it. But I think in sports and the NBA, it's even with player direction and leadership, it it's, it's, that's still out there. They're like, Hey, this team is what matters. But I think Maury just sort of reveals it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't at all. And that's, that's why I think that's why it works. There's all the relationships, all the reasons, but I think, I think that's the part. It's like it's like I read a. And I'll turn it over to you. Just one last point is, I, you know, I read a, I read a book about CAA Creative Arts Agency, Artist Agency, and they became like the biggest, and they're still huge today. They're probably the second, one of the top couple most powerful agencies in Hollywood. They do sports, they do everything. It was about the rise of the agency. Michael Ovitz is a group of of agents started it, and you just realize like how important um, for for really talented people like actors, actresses, directors, athletes that having like an agent, having other people around you who really like sort of believe in your talent and in your vision and totally like totally make their life work around it is something talented people like if it's in Hollywood or sports really, really like they need, they need that. And you kind of are like, why would you need that? But I think they, they do. And, um, I mean, there's reasons why, but I think it's the same dynamic. It's, <laughs> it's like Maury just, he, he, he invests, he, he, he treats these guys this way and, um, he knows what it takes to get it. So this is a, this is a long, long essay here, but I, I do think, you know, the, the fact that Maury knew the entire time that he could get, he could get hardened and, even when Harden was playing for the Nets and going, he he knew, he knew he was available. And I think that's just, that itself is like a very, like just a strange dynamic, but I think it's the reality of the situation. And he did what he needed to do to get his team better and give him a chance to win it. And they definitely had one. But that's the great, I think you're, you're, the proof is in the pudding, right? He knew he could get him the whole time and he got him. I think the unique thing is because of the season Embiid is having, despite and the situation that Simmons has put them in because of his, you know, being missing in action, basically more, had to strike. Right. I mean, this is the thing that I found fascinating was that it sure seemed like this was going to happen. And it sure seemed like it was going to be Simmons for Harden, something resembling straight up, maybe a highly protected sort of first round pick in 2027, just as a symbolic gesture that Sean Marks doesn't you know lose too much face. But what happened was they actually gave things of value. I mean, they gave this year's first, which, you know, mid-20s first, whatever. But, you know, for a team in the tax and Joe size reticence to sort of live there forever, right? I mean, that's a meaningful asset. Seth Curry's a meaningful asset, especially with some of the injuries they've had so far, right? I mean, there's Joe Harris is going to be out for the season. Seth Curry can slot into that role, obviously, with a little less flexibility, more of a guard than a, than a swingman. But, alas, like, he, he got – Mark's got some value here for Harden, who, again, like, might be a negative, right? Like, they, they flipped the negative for, for something that hopefully is even better. I mean, that that's what I think is so fascinating that Maury got his hand forced to take advantage of it, right? Because, like, opportunity only knocks so often. It's, like, literally in his Twitter bio, and it just cracked me up because you're like, well, of course he's going to strike. Like, he, he has the second, first, second, third, fourth. I mean, a top five player in the league right now. He's got to strike. Ar- arguably, yeah, arguably, I mean – 
an argument can be made. He's the best player. It, he's the best player. No, exactly. I it mean, could, it could be. I mean, it's, but I mean, Roy's I, playing the whole time. Clearly, Gian, was, Gian, getting... Giannis is better. Durant's right there. Jokic, but like the the way he's been playing, it's like he's. Sure. Like, it's not. It's, it's not even top five. It's like tied for. It's first. like two and a half. It's one and yeah. a half. Yeah, somewhere yeah. in there. No, and that's like, and that's the difference maker he has, right? I mean, Morris theory, right? That's all that matters. He gets Harden, versus waiting to dump Tobias Harris's contract in Oklahoma City's space, and then and then basically forcing a sign and trade for Harden this summer, you know, or or just signing him into the space. I mean, there's a variety of ways that Morris has clearly war gamed out this path, and and his hand got got forced. I mean. The thing that I really do find fascinating, though, is just how many aspects of this entire process get resolved by this one trade, but all the different pieces of the puzzle that's touched. I mean, you hit on a number of the storylines that I think are fascinating, but it's like, you know, in between Daryl Morey and now two chosen, you know, two favorite children is like Doc Rivers, who like, you're going to tell me Doc Rivers is going to survive in this weird, like four person, like pressure cooker between Harden, who's, who's, who's known to be difficult, right? Embiid. You know, who obviously has the ear of management, ownership, and, you know, and Daryl Morey. And now, you know, it, it was funny. I think like a month ago, Bill Simmons forecasted that Doc Rivers would be the coach of the Lakers next year. And you're like, oh, like that was clearly coming from somewhere, right? Because yeah. like this is not the team that Doc signed up to coach, right? No, that's exactly he's, right. He's not the biggest guy in the room anymore, right? And you go beyond that. I mean, I think the Nets, you know, hopes for the year are, are totally reshaped. You know, Simmons, the res- resolution of the Simmons stuff is fascinating to me. Uh, but it's just, you know, I, I can't, I'm excited to see how it plays out, but I think the thing that sticks with me most that you said is that you, you are, you find yourself rooting against the Sixers, which is something that you haven't felt that much. I, I'm probably neutral in the Sixers. I'm more fascinated to see how it, how it plays out. But I think the general perspective at this point is that like the country's going to be rooting for the Milwaukee Bucks to repeat. <laughs> it's actually the funniest thing I take away from this is that the Bucks. I mean, so often I think the champions are hoped, right? We like underdogs. We like upsets. We like uncertainty. That's why we like March Madness, right? That's why, you know, that's why the NFL is so popular, and among other reasons. And and instead, I think because of the way the Bucks and Giannis is so likable, the way they've gone about franchise building, the way the continuity which they've maintained, you find yourself still rooting for the Bucks. You want Giannis to continue to sort of establish himself as the preeminent superstar of this generation versus, you know, the player empowerment kind of moving around what, you know, rewarding what the Nets or the Sixers have done, which are both uncouth is probably the best way to describe it. Like it's not, and it is what it is. It's the way the world works these days, but there is elements of both franchises where you're just kind of like, you know, I, I can't get behind this. Definitely. And to your point about Doc Rivers, I mean, again, the yard and the piece is great. And it actually hits on some of that because he was hired pre Maury. Like you said, he did not sign up for this. And I think when, I think when Maury, this piece goes into detail, but when, when the ownership raised getting Maury to, you know, Elton Brand and to Doc Rivers, they both were sort of, they were supportive, but it seemed like in a way that they knew the owners would do it anyway, even if they weren't supportive of it. So, I mean, there's <laughs> there's so much of all this that's so political and such it's so marketing based and PR based. Um, you know, I, I do really hope that that some things go right for the Nets, and I hope Simmons comes just plays like right away and really just kind of just shows shows something and shows that he's like free and feeling good and really 
performs at a high level. I hope Kyrie, I don't know if he gets vaccinated or the rules change so he can play every night. Durant comes back healthy because there is a world where that that trio is just really fun. And even with Joe Harris not coming back, potentially, it's, I mean, again, this is more of a fantasy basketball sort of perspective. But, you know, if, if they have Simmons and Durant, you know, they can kind of handle things and then let um, – you know, Kyrie and Seth Curry and, and Patty Mills just sort of go crazy on the outside. <laughs> it's just little jitterbugs everywhere. So it, it's interesting. I, but I, I do think, um, I, I, I do just wonder if this is a little bit of like the room where it happens situation. And I know um, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Hamilton is, is maybe not held in the same esteem it was, you know, five years ago. Um uh, anyone that has children that are allowed to watch Disney movies, though, would say uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is at the top of his game. Encanto. Oh. Encanto. Oh, just go Encanto is, is, yeah. is A-plus, man. Yes, Encanto is, exactly. So, um, But the rumor happens, you know, where he, as Hamilton, you know, makes the trade to get uh, the support of Jefferson and Madison to... Um, you know, take on the debts of the Confederacy or sharing them together at the at the federal level, um, and then in return, you know, the capital is moved from New York to uh, Washington D.C. D.C. Yeah, eventually, yeah, and then I always remember that line. It's like, um, he, he, I think he says at the end, you know, it's like, oh, because people are criticizing Hamilton for giving up the capital, and he's like, you know, I. I gave up. I got a lot more than I gave up because we still have the banks, and the banks are right here, and they're not going anywhere. <laughs> so I, I feel like this is a little bit like Maury is in the Hamilton spot of like, yeah, I gave up a twenty, a first round pick in the twenties. I gave up Seth Curry, who is a role player, a very good role player offensively, but still a role player. And I gave up a pick in five years that is protected. And I think when I read it, it may not even like turn into a first round. Yeah. You know, it's like, I just, I just feel like that stuff, that's the stuff that he, you know, that allow, I mean, you said save face. I feel like Sean Mark still save face. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I feel, sure. I feel like it wasn't that far off as I've thought about it more from what the initial expectation was. And I'm really hopeful. I hope Simmons plays great there and I hope it's amazing, but. Well, let's go there. Cause I'm curious. Like, is that, I have two questions. I mean, I think it's interesting the way the trade is being talked about in in a positive light for the Nets. They're oh, we're getting Simmons. Simmons. I mean, exactly like you said it. Simmons, Kyrie, and Durant might be a better trio than than having kind of a duplicative talent like Harden along with those two other stars. But it, I find myself colored skeptical that this is going to go as well as as some people I think are forecasting. I mean, Ben Simmons is not exactly the pillar of flexibility. Like, hey. Ben, play your role, like <laughs> dunk and rebound and defend and get out in transition. Like that's what he has been asked to do time and time again. And, and, and he has an unwillingness for a variety of reasons that have been speculated on in lots of different think pieces on the internet that, that he is not going to be that type of flexible player. I mean, do you see Ben Simmons leaning into a role that, a really valuable role, albeit, but still a role 
nonetheless? Like, do you think he's, do you think he's this last nine months has changed his perspective and his ability and willingness to go there? Not unlike, I mean, maybe a less bottomed out version of like Carmelo not being in the league for 18 months and coming back as like a, like, like a six man or, you know, uh, I mean, even like Blake Griffin basically getting bought out and signing with the Nets. Like it, it takes what it takes to a certain degree. Do you find, do you think Simmons will, will, will take that, will, will take the challenge and step up to the plate? Or do you, do you, uh, do you think this will kind of fizzle out? Well, I, I'm a, uh, I've always been a Simmons bull throughout this entire time. I picked Sixers to think of the best record in the uh, Eastern Conference last year, which was correct. I had the exact wrong reason, though. I said it's because Ben Simmons was going to really step up and be be great. Um, when it wasn't that, it was Embiid and their defense and all the other things that played into it. Um, so, uh, you know, my answer is that the the uh, the Nets should play Simmons like Magic in game six of the 80 finals. I mean, they should play him at center and point guard, and they should actually have the ball in his hands all the time. And they shouldn't play another big guy, and um, he should really go into like the Harden role where he's the point guard, and then Kyrie and Durant are playing off of him, and Curry and Mills, and he's just like getting rebounds and running all the time, and then, but like he's not like he's he's the point guard from like baseline to baseline, and then or from baseline to the three-point line, and then he's trying to get in the lane and kick it to someone, and then, yeah, he goes to the dunker spot. He kind of, like, hangs out or sets some screens and stuff. I, I am really bullish. Again, I I just think it's hard. I think the guys in ESPN made some good points today that Kyrie is not – he's playing half-time. Like, again, we're not – I think if Kyrie hadn't been, had been playing full-time and they'd been playing better as a team, then maybe this never happens. Who knows? But then – that's the problem right now is they don't have him. So, and then obviously Durant's hurt. So I, I think it's, I think Simmons doesn't have to change that much. I, I, I do think the, um, the argument that, that, you know, he had, um, and Rich Paul had clutch sports had about him with the Sixers. I think a lot of it didn't hold water. Like, you know, Oh, Embiid and, you know, I didn't blame him, but he struggled. He played, like all the interpersonal stuff. I mean, we talked about it. the way Rivers and Embiid reacted after that game seven was really short-sighted and dumb and really immature. But but the one part I think is true is like Ben Simmons, like he can't play with a team who has a big guy, like who's down there all the time. Like it does, it definitely impacted his ability to be um, all he could be. So I, I think if I'm, and I think Nash is creative enough to do this just with the D'Antoni stuff is like i mean people are like oh he should play off the ball and be Draymond green it's like no i think he's had the ball in hands all the time until you have to play half court offense and then it's like yeah then go to the dunker spot set some picks like move around a little bit but i mean he's he's gonna like get especially the way they're gonna run and shoot i mean it could be really fun i mean i, I think for me that's like i don't know if it's a floor or ceiling thing or just like there's 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 it's sort of interesting because it's, you know, Daryl Morey's big thing in the past, I think you've talked about is variance. And I think what the Nets did is they gave themselves like much more variance because <clears throat> if Simmons really like comes back, he hasn't played all year, like who knows? But if he actually like, like embraces, like you're saying, embraces his role, embraces like um, 
And Brace is being a beta personality in a way, right? I mean, it's Brace being someone who like can come around someone else because he couldn't do that with Embiid. Maybe with Durant, Kyrie, he can. Like if he does that, like there's a there's a thing where like they are even better, but also better than the Sixers, better than anybody. Like there's a chance. Well, that's like, the thing. They are. I mean, that's if, a that, if he, that's if he an plays outcome. that role. You're right. That, 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 I mean, that's there's an outcome. Like I think they have the highest. They even have a higher ceiling now. And I know, like I think Kevin Pelton pointed, like it's not like he's like the perfect defender, so he can't clean up all the messes they have. But the fact that he can really guard, I mean, especially the perimeter, but like even big guys, he can pretty much guard like the best player every night is like exactly what they need. Um, so I, I don't know. I, and it does give them, I mean, it gives them a higher ceiling than they had two weeks ago. I mean, I don't think it gave them a higher ceiling than they had at the beginning of the season when pre Kyrie and well, Kyrie. I mean, well, but, but I'm, I mean, but I'm talking at one point we had 11 game sample size of the big three playing together and they have like a plus 22 net rating. I mean, it's like, they, they, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying in terms of variance, in terms of a team that's like, not anywhere, not close to the same efficiency of an offense, but overall is like a stronger, has a stronger chance to be great. Sure. Because like a mediocre defense, even with the like the best offense of all time, like it just, it actually like you have more chances to get knocked out um, against really good offenses. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that that's where it's at, but I think it's interesting. The variant side of it is the nets and the sort of, Raise the floor is the Sixers. Um, and I mean, yeah, but I really feel like it was the room where it happens. I feel like it was like, well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to give you Curry. No, no way. And then it's like, okay, I'll give you Seth Curry. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's like, he's like good friends with Embiid. They love playing pick and roll. It's like, no one else touching the ball on that team, man. Now that Harden's there, I mean, it's going to be Harden or Embiid every time. I and. Mean, <laughs> It's like Seth Curry was going to be a spot-up shooter, which we've been really good at, and he would have probably really helped them, you know, 25 minutes a night. But it's he, there's, there's no – and he's not going to do that in, in uh, Brooklyn either. He's not going to – like. it's like he's a spot-up shooter now. He, he, felt, he, felt, he felt the need because Simmons regressed and couldn't do it offensively, and they didn't have Simmons this year. So it's, it's, he was filling the need. It was a Band-Aid. I really like him, but – and I think for like a, like a mediocre team or like a – 50 win team, then that'd be great. But if you want to win a championship, like that was not going to work. Sure. I'm curious. I mean, outside of basketball, if Ben Simmons shows up in Brooklyn and starts playing, which I don't, I haven't seen clearly reported yet, but there's been some suggestion that that may occur. Do does it, does the mental health component of this, I mean, hold water still, if he immediately flips leaving Philly and starts playing, or is there, it, does it does is there a more charitable perspective? Well, the, the thing that you know has made me think with him is that it's it's only in um, in sports where this where this occurs where like even if you're like in business you might have like a long term contract in business but really what it means is like. Um, like there's usually ways to negotiate your way out of things and, and make changes. Like, and, and most, most people work for that. It's at will employment. Like you can come and go as you please. So someone being blocked from saying whether or not he has like a, a, a medical condition, like a mental health medical condition, it's like being blocked and not able to do that is like 
is pretty like if you start going deeper into that i think that is like whatever his own health like what a doctor would say about him like i mean Kyrie got i remember Kyrie. we talked about it michael was Kyrie made a comment about like the nba draft like comparing to slavery and um and jackie mcmullen on bit Bill Simmons podcast had a very like strong response to that. Like, how could you say that these guys are giving you, I think it was reported out and criticized, like understandably. And it may just been any of these topics, people, especially white people like myself can make, you know, make comments that are, um, you know, inappropriate or intentional. But if you start digging deeper, you start thinking about the combine, you know, when you start like seeing like, um, like the NFL combine or the NBA and you see like how athletes are perceived and viewed. Um, this is a long way of trying to answer your question, but I, <laughs> I, I, I think there's stuff going on where um, just being free of that is, I think is going to just kind of be able to play is going to be good for him. And I mean, he got to go to New York. I mean, no offense to Philadelphia, but I mean, there's a lot of places. There were a lot of places on the table for him to go. A lot of teams that were somewhat interested, at least it's appeared in the media reports. And to end up in Brooklyn is about, I mean, maybe he would have preferred to be in L.A., but otherwise he had a home run. So it, uh, it, I don't know. it Given his gender out. history, I'm sure he probably preferred New York, really, not over sure, L.A. Stay but better than Sa- they're both better than Sacramento. It's, a be- so. it's, it's, easier, it's an easier flight to London, so that's a good point. It's certainly, yeah. no. Um Moving on, I think one of the bigger trades earlier this week was was the CJ McCollum and uh, and Dame Lillard backcourt was 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 ceremoniously broken up uh, with with a tear shed. CJ's moved on to New Orleans. Did you? I mean, we, we've we've jokingly referred to the Joker on and is on on the job, and uh, obviously made a trade earlier late last week for Robert Covington and Norm Powell. Now CJ is on the move, and he made another follow up trade with. Nikhil Alexander Walker to to the Jazz. I mean, clearly there's a strategy here to sort of clear space, create draft equity, and prepare for a quick rebuild around Dame Lillard this summer. I mean, that's that, that is, I think, kind of that's what they're messaging to the league, which is a really well proven strategy for mid market and low market teams, yeah. particularly in whitewash, Portland, Oregon, they really have a strong record of signing max free agents. Wait, never mind. Yeah. I am skeptical that this is a good strategy in general. Now, I think the, I, I, that said, I think the CJ trade actually is a pretty nice trade. I mean, I think he, he's a wonderful player. I don't think that backcourt was ever going anywhere fast and ultimately getting a, a what, what, you know, assuming Zion doesn't come back a mid lottery pick, you know, that's a great haul for a player like CJ. So I actually like that trade specifically. I didn't like the one earlier in the week necessarily. And then trading Walker, Alexander Walker again, kind of felt odd to me, but I don't know what's your read. Where do, where do you, where do you find yourself on the CJ trade? Yeah, I guess I, I think if, if I assume Damian Lillard has been involved or been looped in on these decisions and sort of the direction the team's taking, and if he has been and he's given even tacit approval for uh, the approach you described of, you know, we're going to we're going to reload with two potential lottery picks and some make believe cap space, then he's definitely gone to the LeBron James school of general managing as a player, because like like the odds of this actually <laughs> happening is like it's like a bank shot from like 
60 feet away. Like, like your point, it's like, how, how is like an early thirties point guard who's injured? You know, you're going to resign Simons presumably, and that'll eat into some of this cap space they're supposed to have. And then they'll have the two. Like, I just don't really see how they get, get there. And I don't really see how Lillard signed off on it. I, I, I just feel like there was so much, ex- there was like exhaustion for kind of people, not only like Lillard, but people around the NBA, like even reading Dave Deckard, you know, friend of the pod, Dave Deckard's analysis of the, of the CJ trade. Um, and even the other trades are just kind of where they were, like where Cronin was taking them was just sort of like, it was like resignation, but also just like, well, we had to do this. Like we should have done this three years ago, but we had to do this. This is like, we have to reset. Um, I just don't think I don't really see a way that Lillard's there in like eighteen months or even a year. I just don't think I don't think that's going to happen. Absent that he wants to get like the Harden contract, like the quarter of a billion dollar contract, which he can get from Portland. So maybe you know maybe that's what he wants more, which is his prerogative. So yeah, I just didn't really like I I get that they needed to do it um, and make some moves, but it's just it's just like I don't really see like it just seems like these are the moves to make then to trade Lillard too. Like like if that was like the next step in the plan, then I'd be like, okay, that that sucks for Blazer fans, but it, that makes sense. But this doesn't really make sense to me trying to kind of have it both ways. And and everyone try I don't know. It's just it's just strange to me. I, one good lesson from this though is that salaries matter um in terms of how players are valued. So sometimes I think as, as fans, we're like... Oh, Kevin Pelton reminds us every trip. Uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love... Come on. The Pelton, Pelton cast. The greatest Seattle Seattle uh, podcast in history. Um, Tristan Carcino, his brother. I'm not really sure how that all works exactly, but maybe it's the third honorary brother. Who knows? But, um, but I, I, you know, because he... Pelton even argued that, that, that uh, CJ McCollum was like a negative asset because of how much money he was paid. And it's just, I just don't really, like, I, I don't really get that. So I, I hear you. Like, they got a lot of pinch of lottery pick. Like, they have some stuff happening. But I don't know. It's just sort of discouraging all, all around. It was just like. Well, it's, it's just, it's a little depressing. I actually, I think I find myself hoping for the Blazers, and I think for the city of Portland, is that, you know, with a decent offseason, I think it, it, they can have a few more years of Dame a Dame led Blazers team being like a six seed, even if he's making fifty million a year. But 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 with with but honestly, with who right now? I mean, are you, I mean Zach Levine, man, Pacific Northwest product. No, but are you see? But like, he's going to come back and play with Simon. They're going to play the Mighty Mites all over again. They will have Simons. two marginal lottery picks. Let's say they get, let's say the best case scenario they get it's a it's a low lottery. It's, there's a high lottery pick, and they get a low lottery pick from, and then they resign Simons. They have Lillard. They hope Little comes back from his injury. Do they re-sign Nurkic? No, Nurkic is a free agent. He goes away. So, and they sign Beal, and they sign Levine. They have seven, and they play four Does guards. Make any sense? I just don't understand. Like I really and, don't. And then understand. they bring in Tyler Zeller or Cody Zeller, one of the Zellers. Bring them all back. Well, that's what we talked. It's like you look at the free agent class. It, it's just a weird year to get space. It's so bad. Supplement your your other guards. So yeah, I just I'm confused and, um, yeah, I I don't know. I it it, it bummed me out too, just seeing that, you know, the the gymnastics David Griffin went through to like give away Lonzo Ball, then pick up his other random guards, 
and draft cards and do all this stuff. And then getting CJ is like, like admitting that none of that worked. But also, Lonzo Ball would be the perfect backcourt mate for CJ McCollum. He'd be perfect. He could do the. Oh, he'd be so good. He could guard the point guard or the shooting guard who was better. And he could just like spot up around him and they would really complement each other. And I was like, wow, you put those two dudes together with Zion and Ingram if he comes back and even Valanciunas. It's like, that's a pretty nice. That's like. You know, that's that's definitely like a competitive six seed team right there. Um, but meanwhile, they have Devontae Graham, who's like G League Lillard. I know. G League Lillard. Exactly. Exactly. It's really, I mean, that guy is, I mean, talk about keep getting them checks, man. He's like the GM version of Rick Carlisle. Well, it's a tough situation because he, like, I, th- I think um, the owner's going to like sell the team to give the money to charity to like the city of New Orleans, which is like, Pretty cool. We've talked about it before, but they're Packers. It they're Packers in it. Yeah. Well, right? I don't know. If, oh, interesting. Is, he, is she going to give it to the city, or is she going to sell it and give the money to the city? I guess that's interesting. Maybe they prefer. Maybe they'll sell it to like Chris Hansen, and he'll bring it to Seattle, and then give the money to the city of New Orleans. <laughs> or David Stern will come back from the grave and stop it uh, from happening. Um, so yeah, I, I just kind of was discouraged all across. I mean, what did you think about the Sabonis trade? What did you think about him going to the Kings? Oh, it's just so Kingsy. I mean, it just it, it it felt on brand. Like it's almost a shtick at this point. Like is Vivek Randadeev like in on the joke at this point, or do you think he's earnestly trying to build a contender? Like I just don't understand when 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 you find a lottery pick at number eleven. I think like Tyrese Halliburton, who again he's not he's not Doncic. He's not even Trey Young. He's not going to be the lead dog on a, on a title contender. But I think he can be in the conversation for a second guy, especially if your first guy is like really, really good. And so, you know, you have obviously some problems with Fox being a max on the rookie max, the 25% max. And then I've, I've never understood how, how the perception of healed is so bad. I mean, he's getting paid 20 million bucks. That's like 30% less than Davis Bertans is getting paid. <laughs> like, and they still just all, all they both do is shoot. Like there's lots of guys that shoot, that with that volume and that act, I mean, there's not that many guys that shoot like Buddy Heald shoots. Like I know he has a lot of deficiencies, but so it just confuses me that then they were so hell bent on getting rid of Heald. Speaking of like a negative value player with his contract, even though he's actually like a, I think a good basketball player. I just didn't. I don't understand it, and I, and I think Sabonis, as much as I think he's he's got a fun game, like it's like at the YMCA he would be dominant. You kind of wonder, like, what what is he what is he like in in twenty twenty two NBA? Like, he doesn't. Stretch. Well, he should be a center. That's the problem with this trade to me is that they just gave Rashawn Holmes like I mean not like but a healed money, but still like a four year forty eight million dollar contract like last year, and now it's like here we go. Either you're going to play next to a lob threat. I mean, it didn't work with Miles Turner, and he could actually shoot. He could actually shoot. So that doesn't make any sense. And then it's like you're going to keep Rashawn Holmes on the bench and have Sabonis play center um, and then play with someone. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't make sense. This is why I, w- I would love to see someone in the basketball media, NBA media, to do a, do like a series on who's actually making the calls, like who's, who's calling the shots, and go to every like team and give us a little pie chart. Of like I know in the end it's the owner, but who has the influence to get things done? Because yeah. to your point, it's, it's – it's just chase shiny objects sometimes. Um, but I, I didn't know. I mean, I, I feel like I follow the NBA pretty closely. I, you know, I have an NBA podcast, you know, a, um, a niche NBA podcast here. And 
I didn't know how much people loved Tyrese Halliburton though. Like the pitchforks were out about Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, I mean, I a second player on a really good team. I don't know. I mean, it's gonna be fun to see him in another environment outside of San Sacramento. I mean, it's not like Indiana. Indiana's had a really rough year too. But I, I, yeah, that would be great. But I don't know. Is it like? I mean, is he, he's better than Deontay Murray. Is that is that sort of the idea? Like he's be, he's like. Kind of Maybe not today, but I think there's like potential there, right? And I think he can shoot it a bit more than Murray can. I mean, he, he might be threes. Like, yeah, he shoots. Threes. I mean, is he not like the third? He might be the third best player in that draft. I mean, I know, but like, I'm just saying in terms of, he's a bonus, a two-time All Star with two years left on his contract, like a, a reasonable number. I mean, he's at Buddy. He's less than Buddy Heald money. So um, that's the part I just didn't get. And I, and I and I get the argument that like he's a two-time All Star, but it's marginal, and his teams have struggled and doesn't necessarily fit, but I could see a world where if Sacramento was like, okay, we're clearing the way he's going to be our center. And our only goal is to like get in the playoffs, either through the plan or otherwise. And I feel like he puts a bonus in the middle. Um, but I guess they gave up the guys that would have complimented him well. So. Well, that's the weird thing, right? And then they gave, Sorry. they let Bogdanovich walk. Yeah. You know, last off season, right before, before last year, in a ill-fated sign-in trade, and then ultimately he signed as a restricted free agent with the Hawks. I mean, Bogdanovich. I mean, you let him walk, and you're like, oh, we're we're in on, you know, Fox and Heald, and at that point they just drafted Halliburton, you know, and and they have Davion Mitchell, who they drafted this year, who's been, you know, I think here or there, but it's like you wonder. But it's the same problem. Like it's no O all D guy. It's the same issue though. It's it's like I just don't. It just doesn't doesn't really make sense. Isn't there's really a plan to do it? And you're right. I mean, Halliburton's very young, and so he could, if he continues to grow and improve, maybe he becomes that type of player. Um, I don't know. It's 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 an interesting thing. I mean, speaking of the of Bogdanovich, though, the the Bucks finally uh, traded. Well, I guess they did trade DiVincenzo for Bogdanovich, and then it was rejected to, to the Kings. And now he's he's going to the Kings. They couldn't. <laughs> they were at least consistent with that. They just wanted to have Dante DiVincenzo on their team. Um, what do you think of the Bucks getting Ibaka? I mean, it seems like he's like, well, if his if his back holds up, I think he's a he's a he's clearly a, a plus player at least in the ten minutes they're going to want him to play. I mean, right? I mean, that's the expectation, right? It's particularly if Lopez is, is done for the year, which it all signs are pointing towards. I think there's some, there's some mild hope that he comes back, but right. I mean, at that point, I mean, what the the keys to the kingdom was 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 Giannis at center, right? I mean, that was what really, I mean, in large parts, or or with Portis, Portis sort of being the sort of center in name only, but having a trio of guys who can stretch it and shoot it a little bit, which which Ibaka certainly can do too, I think provides them a level of flexibility. I, I do think it's unique that they. It's not. I'm just kind of unique that they 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 bailed on Divincenzo, a guy who has started for them up until the like the middle of the playoffs last year, and obviously he's obviously had issues coming back from injury. But there's something to be said for having like a lot of wing guys in the modern. Yeah, NBA, no, that's especially part, when your best player is like a center. They feel sh- like they feel a little short in the perimeter now, even with like George Hill. You know, they have they have some guys. They have Grayson Allen. Um, they have their guys. I guess Picotten, Conover's name is, but it's it's yeah. It does feel like they're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit. Um, 
they could really use Tucker too. I mean, that's just yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see. I mean, I think we've agreed that they're, like you said earlier, people are pulling for them. They definitely are. Yeah, it's just just having the three guys they have is just kind of sets them apart, and um, you know they're in good position. Was there was there anyone else that made made a move that you really liked today? Well, I, I do think there's some sort of poetic justice that, that the end of the Kristaps Porzingis swing, it, it, it came to an end. Like, it, that was such a fun swing. I actually think it's the kind of trade I wish NBA teams made more often three or four years ago. I totally like agree. Like, yeah, I totally they agree. They sort of go all in on, on a guy who, if he hits, I mean, if he went back to being like normal Porzingis pre-knee, they would have been awesome. And instead it missed. And that happens sometimes, right? Like, it's almost the trade. It's the type of trade you wish the Blazers had made three or four years ago when you saw that Lillard was what he was, you kind of go, Oh, how do I, you know, bundle up some parts and some picks and go get a guy who's maybe like a B lister, but if he, you know, jumps or whatever becomes an A lister. Right. I mean, I think that's sort of how you have to function at times in the league and, and the Mavs did it and it didn't work and they missed. I'm kind of amazed that they were able to get off the money. Um, because I think Porzingis just is such an empty calories player at this point. I mean, defensively, he's a he's kind of a sieve, and he really, you know, he's got a little Dwight Howard in him, and that he wants the ball at like 15 feet, like 15 times a game. Uh, and Dinwiddie and Bertans, I think, are interesting. I think they're the type of guys who were definitely overpaid. And this is the thing you're talking about: players and contracts. Is I think sometimes we perceive players more as their contract number than we do as what they actually bring on the basketball court. And if you can make the money sort of work, and if as an owner you're willing to pay the tax, you can get guys that are overpaid but that will bring true value to you. I mean, I think there's – watching a lot of Mavs in the playoffs last year, I mean, the, the some of those issues they had was Doncic would sit for seven of the 48 minutes in a game and they'd get just boat raced in those seven minutes. Yeah. Right? I mean, they, I think a lumber of those Clippers losses last year – I think they were like plus six in their Doncic minutes and like minus nine in their seven minutes. He was not in the game. Right. And so having like a ball handler, like Dinwiddie, who, who again, has his own flaws, has his own foibles, but can really step into a more ball dominant role, particularly in the moments that, that Doncic isn't playing. I think could go a long way. I mean, he was, he really had a moment as a creator in Brooklyn before the injury. And then obviously came back a little bit and then signed with the Wiz. And Bertans, I mean, Bertans is the type of guy that you actually isn't he like that? Not the perfect guy you want on a Doncic team. I mean, that's like can't guard anybody, but otherwise, yeah, no, sure. I, but but, but they like need, six, nine. but they do I mean, need shooting. Be, I mean, they do need shooting. I mean, that, being, that was. I mean, there's a lot of Maxi Kleba, right? I mean, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of like a bunch of sw- a number of different swing guys that you're kind of like, man, if they could give you 20 minutes where they would really just put the ball in the bucket when they're wide open. And again, so I actually really like that deal for the Mavericks and, and kind of creating, creating a, an ability to make a push this year. Cause I do think they've, they, they are not going to have an open window for a long time because they, I don't think they have the ability to get to the, the like dynastic level that like multiple championships require. But I think Doncic is so good that in a season where there's not a preeminent favorite, like this year, much like this year, that then having the right pieces, it almost resembles that 11 Mavs team, right? Like Dirk was always knocking on the door, but a team with Dirk and Jason Terry and Sean Marion, you know, all of a sudden you look up and you're like, Oh wow. Tyson Chandler is like the best defender in the league now. And Sean Marion's defending Kobe and you know, 
Dirk is in Fuego and all of a sudden they're like one, right? And you're like, wasn't expecting that. Like that that feels particularly adding depth of and, and these two skill sets. It feels like a really shrewd move that all it does is take a willingness to, to eat some money, which which clearly Cuban has decided is okay doing. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think that that is the thing that teams willing to spend money that are more sophisticated are doing. If they don't have, if they don't have, um, you know, they don't have salary cap space, they don't have draft pick equity or capital, then they're just island hopping from one deal to the next deal. And that's what, that's why the Clippers got Norm Powell. That's how, um, you know, the Mavericks did with Porzingis. They said, okay, we think this is worst situation than, you know, Dinwiddie, um, who I think Brad Beal, I mean, I think he was just on the outs for the Wizards. So we'll see if if he can kind of come back from that. Um, because Brad Beal's the paragon of virtue in terms of leadership. and That's and fair. Like, that's fair. But I think... That guy's, a, that guy's the Rick Carlisle player. Oh, man. Keep getting man. those max deals. Oh, man. Uh, I use words like loyalty. Uh, but I... I think the thing with Porzingis, and I, sometimes I get biased because I, I don't see that many in-person NBA games, but when I do, I don't know, if, you know, things especially if you have good seats, it kind of imprints on you a little bit. But I went to try to see Doncic a few years ago in Washington and he, um, in D.C., and he and Doncic got hurt, has an ankle problem or something, so he didn't play, but Porzingis played, and he was just incredibly dominant. Um, and so you always saw those flashes of him, and the thing I could never figure out, he was hurt so much, and I agree, it was a great... It was a great. They took they took the right risk to try and do it. It just didn't work out. But I just didn't understand why they didn't play him at center. He was constantly playing the four with other big guys, and he he isn't. Um, he he's not a good post up player, as it's been documented, and that created some conflict with Rich Carlisle. Rich Carlisle. But I feel like if he had been playing center. Then you can just do pick and pop with them. Like you're not trying to play switches. Um, like he could, they could switch and then you could kind of keep playing the two man game, you know, the more sophisticated pick and roll where you kind of go back and forth. Like there was, there's more things to do and that would open up the lane more for Doncic, but they play with White Powell all the time. They play with other guys who were kind of clogging the lane. And, and that, and that never made a lot of sense to me. Cause it's like, if you have this guy, you got to play him at center, even though he does have some weaknesses on def- defense, he can still provide some rim protection. And I just, it just never was going to work in his current state with him playing the four. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't really know what's going on with the wizards. I don't really understand, um, you know, what they're trying to do. I mean, I think they got off of, you know, wall and then Westbrook. I think this this trade's a little bit like the mini a mini wall Westbrook trade, where it's like, what what it's kind of like the the negative challenge trade, like which one's going to be worse for the other person. <laughs> um, so we'll see, we'll see what what happens. But uh, we 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 shall indeed. Um, well, I I think that uh, that about wraps it up. Obviously, there's some other trades we'll hit more next week on the show. Thanks for joining us for the bonus pod and uh, D Love. We'll, we'll see you next week. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3ND Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit. <laughs>